Hello, my name is Dustin Oliver. This is a podcast called American Youth. If this is your first time, then welcome in. If this is not your first time, then welcome back. So this show is about exploring the human experience and breaking a lot of those stereotypes that we have about people when we haven't fully investigated them or what their life is like or anything about them. Uh, it's essentially about qualitative research. You know, it's it's looking into people's lives and saying, let's figure out why someone thinks this way. Let's figure out why someone does what they do. Let's go and ask these questions. Because I think a lot of times, especially in our modern day society, we get so conflicted with things of like, oh, this person thinks this way, so I don't like them. Or this person does that, so I don't like them. You know, and I think that, and I've been victim to it as well. You know, it's been, it's been something that I have struggled with also of like judging people before I know them. And so when I was putting this project together in 2018, before it premiered in 2019, I surveyed a lot of my friends and I was asking a lot of people a bunch of questions like, what are things that you want to know more about? Or what are things that you have a bias towards that may be, you know, negative or positive? But the ones I was really interested in was, what are some things that you don't like? What are some types of situations that people are in that make you uncomfortable? What what are these things? And a lot of my friends, you know, be, because I was asking friends, I was able to get a lot more, I, I think, a lot more honest and real answer. And a lot of them, surprisingly enough, had kind of resentments and negative feelings towards religion. And it was no, there was no one specific religion. It was a lot of different religions in general, you know, of just, I don't, I don't, I feel, you know, this way about this religion, or I feel this way about that religion, or I think they are, this is a judgmental group of people, or I think this is a non-accepting group of people, or I think this is a scary group of people. It, there were a lot of feelings that people had that were very, very strong, and they centered on other people's religious beliefs. And so I, I started to look into this and I really kind of dug deep and was going through a lot of, I dug too deep to be honest with you. I was going through a lot of blogs and a, a lot, just trying to get, trying to understand where these negative biases were originating from. And so after doing that, I thought, you know, I need to interview someone and sit down and have a conversation with someone uh, who is a pastor or a preacher, someone who is involved in the church, not specifically one type of church over another, but to really speak with them and, and talk to them about what their religion means to them. So that was the whole purpose of this. And they the the gentleman that I'm interviewing for this is Pastor Ray Waters. He is the pastor of the Village Church in Hapeville, Georgia, which is just right south of Atlanta. And we have an amazing conversation. He has a very silky, smoothy, caramelly voice which I think you will find. He, I, I honestly, I think he should be the guy from the Calm app. I, I see those ads all the time. And now that I've said it, you will too, because that's how our phones work. They're listening to us. But the Calm app, they have like the, you know, the very calm voices that are going to talk you to sleep. This guy's voice is, it's like caramel. It's amazing. But I sat down and I asked him and I asked him a lot of tough questions. And, and I think he answered every one of them in a very eloquent and beautiful way. And he really changed my opinion on a lot of the, you know, stereotypes that I have on on certain people, you know. And that's the whole goal of this of this show is to basically say, you know what, I don't like this thing. Well, let me talk to someone about this thing and let's really talk about it. And let's have a human one-on-one -on -one conversation. 
And so that's what I did. And I'm really excited for this one. This one was actually, I actually released this as the third episode last year. But for some reason, it was deleted about a month after I posted it. User error. I don't know what that was about. But it was deleted. So I, I figured that out about two weeks ago that it had been off for a while. And so I thought, I'm, I'm going to re-release it because I think it's an important conversation. Um, because it's a lot of, you know, it's a lot of stereotyping. You know, it's like, I feel like this group thinks this way. Or I feel uncomfortable around this group because I've seen this. You know, and, and what we need to do is just have conversations with people. So that's what Pastor Ray and I did. He's an amazing guy. He invited me into his house. He has this beautiful home in East Point. It's amazing. I will leave all of his links below. But this conversation was really important to me and really important for me to have. And I asked him some difficult questions like, you know, do you, do you think your friends are going to hell? You know, like, do you think that, you know, a lot, a lot of different things. And he just had an amazing answer for all of it. So with that, I'm going to shut up and I'm going to play the interview. This is my interview with Pastor Ray Waters this week on American Youth. And I hope you enjoy it. I want to play like devil's advocate, sure. I guess, in the literal sense, sure. um, a little bit. Um, but let's, let's start off with, so where are you from? I think you're a really interesting character. Well, thank you. Um, thank you. <laughs> I, uh, I'm actually from Atlanta, mm-hmm. um, born here back in 1962. Mm-hmm. And uh, my dad was a computer whiz in the days of the large mainframe computer. So we moved a lot. I lived in Johannesburg, South Africa when oh, cool. I was in the fifth grade. And I lived in Sydney, Australia when I was in the 10th grade. But wherever we moved, we'd always come back to Atlanta. So I graduated mm-hmm. from Riverdale High School, first graduating class back oh, nice. in 1980. I think I have friends, not personal friends, but I think I have friends who went there like back in the day. And, really? Like yeah. R- Riverdale or Jonesboro or yeah, like we, those, those we schools. We were close-knit back in the day, yeah. Um, but I don't want to start name dropping because right. I'm like, you yeah. know, everyone just assumes that it's like when you're like, oh, you've been here. It's like, oh, do you know this person? Oh, yeah. It's like, no. Yeah. Um, but no, so I think that you have like a pretty interesting approach. And it's weird because I have this like bias towards. So you're a pastor. I'm a pastor. Yes. Um, and is the proper term like pastor or preacher? Like, what would you say? Does it matter? Uh, no, I, I pastor probably. But I actually just like being Ray. I, mm-hmm. I I'm, don't like somebody knowing I'm a pastor right out of the gate because yeah. I think it changes the whole dynamic, and they're thinking, oh, gosh, he's going to be a holy roller kind of a yeah. guy. So I much prefer them to meet me and be Ray, and then they find out, oh, wow, you actually are, you go to church and you lead a church too. I like that better, but you just call me Ray, yeah. it's fine with me. No, I, I understand that because there's a lot of people like exactly like why I'm, like I feel like I'm doing this because there's a lot of people that have like a bias towards that. Yeah, yeah. Um, whether it's negative or positive, or they feel sure. like they have to like edit the way that they're acting. That's you know? what that's what I used to see. It's mm-hmm. like if they if they were apt to swear, suddenly they're they're trying to watch and not say anything ass or yeah. damn or anything's not going to come out. And it's like I would much rather just be real to, with yeah. you. I just want to know you. I'm not going to judge you. I don't care. And uh, so that's one of the things. It's it's. It, I remember as a young guy, so proud. I was so proud to be a pastor. But then over time, I began to realize it really does 
to some people it really yeah. changes the way they they interact and so i reached a point probably in my 40 early 40s where i thought i'd rather people not know i don't want to introduce myself as pastor ray i just want to be ray and uh, let them find out in their own time and yeah normally that's been a better thing. i never thought about that like i never actually thought about from a preacher's point of view of like how because I, I, I would assume that anytime someone's around like a preacher, a pastor, or especially like if it's the church that they go to, you know, I feel like they do act a certain way. They do. And I think just from like being younger, going to church, I remember like kind of like my parents or friends' parents being like, act right, you know, oh, yeah. To, yeah. just to kind of show. Now we'll say this, I think younger mm-hmm. people, I think younger people in their 20s and 30s, they seem to be more authentic. They don't seem to... It doesn't seem to affect them as much, but but the older generation, my generation, it yeah. really seemed to, you tried to put on your best behavior. I would show up at people's houses. They would know I was coming for a, a visit. And I just noticed in every house, the Bible was opened on the table. It's like- <laughs> Like with the highlighter yeah, beside the it. Yeah, the highlighter beside it. It's like, I'm, I'm not buying this. I'm not believing yeah. that you do this, yeah, but uh, yeah, yeah. everybody had to put it on just right. Yeah. And so I think like from you, just you personally, it's like, just be yourself. That's all I want yeah. is just be yourself. And I'll be your, myself and I, I, uh, maybe it'll, it'll probably be a little different than you think. I, yeah. I, I don't walk around with my head in the clouds. I like listening to comedians. I'm kind of know who pop singers are. Yeah. Um, I watch R rated movies. I smoke oh, cigars no. sometimes. <laughs> and, uh, so yeah, it may disappoint them, but I just want to be me. And if that works out great, if we yeah. like each other, great. If not, there's other pastors that maybe you could relate to. Better. Yeah. If you need something a little more conservative. Sure. Um, so I think this is like really interesting to me because I'm one of those people and just like full disclosure, I kind of have like a negative bias towards Christianity. I, I, I grew up, and my granddad's a Southern Baptist pastor. And like I said, this might get me in trouble, but you no, know, this no, is the yeah. truth. Um, and so I grew up with like the, uh, the concept kind of thrown in my face and beaten in my face. And it was very, very, very Southern Baptist, like mm-hmm. very traditional, like, you know, anything, anything that was different from what, you know, they thought it should be was just like not a good thing. Um, and so I kind of grew up LGBTQ. Um, and then I just remember thinking like, there's something wrong with me because I grew up gay and just kind of like realizing that I'm like, why would I want to be a part of a group of people that don't want anything to do with me? Or, you know, I, I just find it to be in some cases, a really, really judgmental community that over the years, like the past 10, 10 years, I've just developed negative feelings with. Um, and I think that I'm like the, there's got there's people out there because you know I have friends of mine we have mutual friends um, and so it's I, me talking to them they're like no you got to meet him he's great he's like he's not what you think he is like talking about you mm-hmm. and and I'm like okay okay for sure and so I guess it's just maybe if there's anybody out there like me that well what would you say to anybody out there like me that might have like a negative <clears throat> bias towards like what they think of like traditional Christianity first thing I would say is I get it. Mm-hmm. I get it. And it is deserved. It is deserved as a, someone who grew up conservative Baptist, um, same background your grandfather was, went to Baptist college, went to Baptist graduate school, pastor three Southern Baptist churches as a young guy. That's all I knew. Um, because I had a lot of artist friends, I knew LGBT people um, and I never was judgmental about them. I, even as a young guy, I wasn't judgmental, but I just, it just seemed like I, I didn't know exactly how it was all supposed to fit. I just knew I loved them. 
And I think they felt comfortable with me, but the church thing I know was had to be really difficult for them. And then over time, I, I loved God, but the whole church thing began to not make sense to me when I began to really get to know my LGBT friends. And I began to really think about some of the stuff that the church was was holding up as so important. I began to really have a uh, um, deconstruction period of my life where I said, I don't, I don't believe those things anymore. I do not believe those things. And there was a period when I didn't even know what I believed, which is a horrible thing when you're a pastor and you're like, yeah. I don't know if I'm going to stay in this. I don't know if I'm going to walk away from this. I just know I do not believe tons of things that I thought were important. And so I ended up coming to a place where I realized those things to me um, I could take the message of Jesus and a strong idea that God is love and that we are supposed to learn to love ourselves and to love other people. And that was the highest message I could get from the scriptures. But a lot of this other silly stuff, I had to say, I don't believe that anymore. Mm-hmm. And uh, so our church transitioned. Our church is 26 years old, but over the last 15 years, we've transitioned. I did my same same-sex marriage in 2011, which predates the uh, yeah. national uh, passing of the uh, Supreme Court, and I'm really proud of that. Yeah. I, had to, I had to go to Massachusetts to do it. Um, I am a part of not only a local church that is LGBT-inclusive and affirming, which simply means we don't believe an LGBT person needs to get fixed. We think they are exactly who they're supposed to be, mm-hmm. and they may have areas in their life they need to uh, they want to get better in, but their being a lesbian or gay is not, that's them. That's who they are. Yeah. And uh, it has opened our world up, and it is so beautiful. And I look at my friends from my past who are ho- holding on to that old line thing, mm-hmm. and I think, and I've thought this for the last 15 years, You, it is going to die. What you are part of is going to die, and it should die because it doesn't, it, 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 it is not loving, it is not kind, it is not at all tuned in to what is happening in the world. Yeah. And so it's it's going to die. I think if Christianity continues, it will be on a progressive understanding of, of the Bible. And of course, I think, you know, Jesus, we believe, died and rose again. If something has to die, it's not the end of the world. There's It could be reborn with a much better, more beautiful picture of what, what it's supposed to be about. Yeah, so what, I want to talk about, did you get... Any backlash from like when you... Oh my gosh, yes. People stopped coming. People stopped giving. People sent me long letters saying that I was uh, the Antichrist and was leading people into hell. And it didn't matter that that I could show them scholars who had different understandings of Scripture that were broader in understanding than maybe the narrow understanding that they had. They, they, They just know what they know. Yeah. And they're not open to empathy. They're not open to trying to see it through a larger lens. And so I would write long papers to friends trying to explain it. And I finally realized unless it's somebody's falling on, deaf ears. falling on yeah. deaf ears, it's a waste of time. Unless someone's ready, mm-hmm. unless somebody is really saying, you know what, something in my spirit's not, this doesn't feel right. If they, if they come to that place, then I can take them through some of the things that I had to go through that were very helpful. One of the things that was helpful to me is that some of the Christians that I admired the most were the ones who were the most liberal. They were 
But they were the ones who seemed to care for the poor. They seemed to care for the refugee. They seemed to care for the uh, marginalized people. Yeah. And then the people that I had grown up with that I thought were so awesome, they were the uh, flashy kind of Christians that as a kid that just seemed to me to be the, the – as I got older, I was less and less impressed with what I saw as their character. As, as It didn't seem to me like they represented at all what Jesus represented. And these more liberal Christians seemed to me to be much closer to what I thought maybe Jesus yeah. was like. So it was tough, and we did face a backlash, and we still face a backlash. But those that are on this journey with me, I don't think we would ever go back. Because once you taste, you can't untaste. Once you see, yeah. when, it, when, when I have this room we're sitting in right now, when, when it's filled with um, friends, and they are straight, and they are gay, and they are from every walk of life— and there's no judgment, and you begin to realize how beautiful each person is, you realize, why would you ever want to go back to that exclusion that people thought was somehow yeah. holy or righteous? It makes me mad now. I, don't, I, I Honestly, and I don't know how an LGBT person goes to, because there's, there's some cool churches around. They are cool, and they have thousands of young people that go there every Sunday, and it's the slickest of the slickest production. Yeah. But they do not honor LGBTQ. They will not do marriages for gay people. They will not dedicate gay people's children. They will not allow them to serve in the church. They will cash their checks. If they want to give, they'll cash their checks. And they will never be ugly from the platform. They're never going to say anything like a maybe a country Baptist church could say something that's going to be really nasty. These slick churches will never say anything nasty. But they are working against um, the LGBTQ mm-hmm. community. And so that's kind of, I hate that. But I just, I know too the power of that cool place where this, you know, the vibe is really great. And you just think, well, I'll, it's almost like I think about settling for the three-fifths compromise african-americans you know that back in the day they were considered three-fifths of a human it's like well that's not we wait let's settle we can settle for that yeah it's like i don't want my lgbt friends to settle for that they are equal in every way under god equal and to everybody else and they don't need to take a back seat and there are a few churches that ring that bell and I think those churches are the churches that are in tune with what's going to be happening in the future, and we happen to be one of those churches. Yeah. Well, good. That's beautiful. Oh, thank you. Um, I do want to ask you, though, so has there been a time, because this, I'm assuming that it was like a troubling time, like whenever you first kind of announced that we're going to support this cause and, you know, we're going to like support LGBTQ people, and um, did you ever get to a point where you maybe questioned your faith? Like, and if not then, like, have you ever had a point in your life where yes. you question your faith? Sure, sure, sure. I think I think as you get older, at least for me, as I got older and you began to realize that there are wonderful people in other backgrounds that are not Christian, and you, when you're 20, 20, you know, just a young guy starting out, and you believe you guys, your group has all the answers, and if everybody yeah. just could be as good as your group is and know what your group is, and then you get older, maybe wiser, hopefully, and you begin to think and realize that there's truth all over the place and there are wonderful people all over the place. And uh, you have a lot of your beliefs because of where you were born and the family that you grew up in. And I, I just, sure, I think I went through a period where I thought, is it all discardable? Maybe, maybe this is all just, but then I said, 
there are some great truths here. And I don't think it's exclusionary. I don't think it's that we are the only ones that have these great truths. But these these great truths to me that I saw in the life of Jesus were worth hanging on to for me. Um, but it took some deconstruction and some serious questioning of, is it really worth putting back together again? Or yeah. is it something I need to walk away from? So I get it. And I have some great friends who deconstructed and said, for us, it's not worth putting it back together again. And I find them to be high functioning. I find them to be happy. I find them to be healthy. And they would say that they are atheist or agnostic for sure. And uh, I tip my hat to them and I get it. And I'm glad they're still my friends and my friend. And we um, interact together. We work together. We love each other. But um, I don't think everybody has to come out with kind of where I came out. Where I came yeah. out is I can I can build a beautiful faith that includes the uh, person of Jesus and is that believes there is a God that is pulling for us, not against us, that loves us. And I got to a point where that made sense to me, but it maybe won't make sense to everybody, and that's all right. Yeah. See, that's interesting that you said that, because one of the questions I wrote down is, what do you think about when you hear the word atheist? Um, and I guess you just answered my question. Yeah, I, um, I, I find them to be some of the smartest people yeah. around. I find them to be... Um, my business partner, I, I do some corporate things. I have a business partner, and he would say he is an atheist. He is one of the smartest humans that I have ever known. And we have tremendous conversations, but I honor him, and he honors me. We love each other. We love the same things. We want to help people get better, and uh, in whatever ways that can happen that we want to be a part of it. For me, it just happens to be through a local church, and for him, it's other things that he's involved in. But yeah, I like I like my atheist friends. Do you ever worry about now? And this might be me just like kind of going back to like what I've been taught. But like, do you ever worry about this person's not going to make it into heaven, or like this person's going to hell? Like what? You know th- that I used to have the those anxieties so much so that I would stay up on Saturday nights as a young preacher because I started I started pastoring believe it or not in the Southern Baptist Church at 19 it's when I was called to be pastor of the Second Baptist Church of Rosenberg Texas when I was <laughs> I was in college and they yeah. called me to be their preacher and so I was so worried that I would say something wrong and somebody would be hearing the message for the first time and I would fumble it and they would go into eternity without God and I would stay up all night it would literally stomach aches worrying about all of those things. And what's happened to me over the last 15 years is the idea of a fear-based religion has gone away. To me, a fear-based religion is consistent with all ancient religions. It all starts that way. But I think as it progresses and as people get smarter and they understand what's driving some of the fears... I think we get to a point, and I, th- I believe that you can read a, a an intelligent reading of Scripture, can see this progression happening, and you can just imagine it continuing over the last 2,000 years. I don't believe in a fear-based religion. I don't believe in a, uh, a God that would send people to eternal torment is so reprehensible it is it is a horrible thought and you have people say oh my gosh but what about hitler if you don't have a if you don't have hell for somebody like hitler and it's like but what you're doing is you are imposing on god something that is a million times worse than what hitler ever did if you are implying that he is going to send people for billions of people 
for all of eternity mm-hmm. into flames. That is, I, I cannot get in, in my picture, you know, the Bible. The Bible says that Jesus is the perfect reflection of what God is like. Jesus said, you want to see what God is like? Look at me. Okay, what does Jesus say about our enemies? Love your enemies. It's easy to love your friends, but love your enemies. Well, if that's the reflection of God, then what is God like toward his enemies? God would love them. When Jesus says, forgive people who wrong you, if that's Jesus and he's the perfect reflection of God, then what is God supposed to be like to those people who wrong him or have a wrong approach to him? You would think that God is, and and the Bible says empirically, God is love. I don't have any place for, uh, so so to answer your question, sorry, I, you asked me what no, time no, it no, is. No, 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 no. You asked me what time it is, I'm going to tell you how to build a clock. <laughs> um, but my answer is, quite frankly, I do not believe at all in a, a, a God that sends people to hell, and I believe that uh, my job is to do my best to introduce people to a wonderful, loving God who has never been separated from them, never they maybe are not aware of it, and that's okay, but he is not a God who they have ever um, done anything that has caused him to be ashamed of them or turn from them, or to me, that is not the God that I believe in. Yeah, see, it's one of those, one of the biases, too, for me is that I, one of the things, like, when I was younger, like, probably 14, 13, 14, when I started kind of thinking for myself, and I was, like, going into this pit of, like, okay, do I believe this, you know, Um one of the things that was like really bothered me was that I was like, well, why would, you know, the fact that somebody, there's always the question of like, if someone loves you, why would they send you to hell? Which is great. Great. Um, and then also kind of crossed my mind of like, you know, well, it's basically like do what I say to do or you're going to burn in hell for all eternity. But I love you. And Mm -hmm. so it's like, I try to think too, if I said to my wife, I love you so much, but if you don't, reciprocate that love to me that I'm going to strangle you, punch you in the face and burn Mm -hmm. you forever. Well, that whole thing is maniacal crazy. And yet we have put that on God. And I really think that proper understanding of scripture is, is not that way. I think when Jesus talks about Gehenna, which was literally a garbage dump outside of the city of Jerusalem, he's talking about a wasted life. He's talking about a life that is just um, so so bad and painful, but we have translated that to hell and we have created largely by Dante's Inferno that we Mm -hmm. read when we were in school. That has more um, colored our understanding, but I just don't think that that's what we're going to discover God is like. And I think it's, uh, I think the early followers of Jesus didn't believe that either. Yeah. Um, so when when you first start getting into God, like what or no, let's go back before that. What was your first conception of God? Like when you were younger, other than like, you know, you being taught about it or you're, you know, maybe going to church or anything like that, like when was the time for you that you kind of felt like I'm I feel connected to God? Like I feel like there's something there. Do you remember that memory? Yeah, at all? I, I wish I could I wish I did. I wish I had something outside of church where I could say I was on a hill top yeah. one day and I just something felt beautiful something yeah beautiful but the truth is I remember watching an old televangelist named Rex Humbard when I was about in the fourth grade and I remember feeling something in my heart as he talked about God loving us and Jesus dying for us and I remember that little fluttery moment and I remember going to a Billy Graham crusade when I was in the fifth grade and I remember feeling a little flutter of something and then going to a, a Baptist church when I was in the seventh grade and hearing about hell and heaven 
and that I needed to make a decision myself. And I remember the Sunday night when the preacher said, if you want to get saved. And I yeah. remember <clears throat> tears coming down my cheeks because I was I, I was getting saved and going to the front and getting saved, getting baptized, and then wanting to invite all my little friends to church because I wanted everybody to be um, saved. That was a big deal to me. And then that led to me uh, beginning to sing in church and through music um, over time began to feel like maybe I was supposed to be a preacher. And so mine all came from the church. I wish yeah. I wish it was that beautiful, something different, but mine was all the Southern Baptist kind of a background. Yeah. And so you come up in that, and you get to an age where you're like, you're a teenager, right? And you start realizing that this is what you want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then so you graduate high school, and what comes after that? How does somebody become a preacher? Yeah, great like, question. In Southern Baptist or Baptist, it's different. You know, some places like Methodist, you would say, you want to be a pastor, go to college for four years and then go to graduate school for three years. And then a church will take you in and, and that's kind of how it works. But Baptists are autonomous. Every church has its own mm-hmm. rules and they do it their own way. So a non-educated kind of a church could look at me, a 19-year-old boy who could preach because I had been in radio and had a background as a communicator. They listened to me preach a few times and they said, would you be our pastor, what 19-year-old needs to be a pastor? You yeah. know, I, you mean I, like the head pastor Like of the I church. was the yeah. senior pastor of the church. Now, it was small. 35 mm-hmm. people voted for me. I was there for two years. When I left, we had about 150 people on Sunday mornings. Oh, wow. And uh, But it was largely built on this charisma of this young preacher. Yeah, I was going to say, I think that you you go up and you see this young, because when, when I think of pastor, I typically think of like, just in my experiences, like, you know, an older guy who's yeah. all wise yeah, and knowing. Wise. And so I think the attraction of like seeing this like young guy come out and talking about God and being inspired, I mean, I think that would it's grow the church exactly it did. how it did. Oh, it mm-hmm. did. And there, but there was a lot of stuff under the surface in my life. I was a mess, you know, yeah. other, take me off a Sunday morning. Um, I was pretty good on Sunday morning, but the rest of the time I was trying to figure out, I'm a young guy, I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so that's how that's how it worked for us. I I felt something inside of me that said, you're going to be a preacher. And I took steps towards moving to Houston, Texas from Riverdale to go to Houston Baptist University. And there I went to a church where I saw a mega church pastor that I really connected with, and he became a mentor from a distance to me. I studied everything he did. I just was enamored with him. And I started going to college. And then before I knew it, I was pastoring a church. And then I finished college and I went to graduate school and I pastored another church. And then I left there and I came to Atlanta and pastored another church. And um, But I wish, I sometimes think I would have been healthy because I also went through divorce. And there's a whole bunch of stuff that was happening because... What I had in charisma, I didn't have, I didn't, I lacked um, a lot of character, a lot of uh, being mentored properly, maybe age appropriate understanding kind of what I was going through. I was so good on the stage that I missed some of the internal things that needed to be. So in a sense, you became like a performer. I was a performer and I was a good performer and I loved God. I'm not saying I didn't, or at least I thought, you know, you think you do, but who knows? It's all mixed. It's all mixed up, but I was not a great husband. I I didn't know what I was doing in my marriage. Um, 
I just look back and I think, golly, I was I was a mess. Yeah. And uh, so I went through a divorce. And when I was 24, after pastoring three churches, 24 years old, and in my little Baptist world, that was the kiss of death. It was over. And I had only thought about being a pastor for the last eight years. Every moment I had been becoming this pastor. And suddenly that dream was over and it was my fault. It was I couldn't blame it on any. I mean, it was me. I I was in a bad marriage, and it, yeah. When you say your fault, do you mean like you you lost yourself? I'm sorry. I just noticed that we have the same coffee table book, the Atlanta <laughs> Now and Then book. I'm yeah. so sorry. No, that's all right. Um, <laughs> You're awesome. So I was like, that's mine, but I'm like, no, it's not mine. We're not at my house. <laughs> um, but um, so so you get to this point where. You're like, you're very, very good at your craft, right. at what you're doing, but internally you're kind of falling apart. You're kind of falling apart. So what, I think you could still be beneficial to people, even if, you know, you're having internal problems, but like, can you tell now, like if you kind of go to a church or, and I know that it's not about like passing judgment against a pastor or anything, but like, can you, do you have any sense at all of like pastors that might not have it together? Like what, like what would you say to somebody who's in a church and they don't realize that maybe their pastor is like not have it together. Right. And like, what would you say to them? Like, would you say to them, like, it's, it's okay. You know, what they're saying is true and what they're saying they believe in, but they just, it's kind of like practicing what you yeah. preach, you know? Yeah. That's, that's a great point. I mm -hmm. think what, I think where I look back and I wish I had been different is I was pretending that I had it all together. I, I walked in like I owned the world, yeah. like I had everything figured out, and I had I was eloquent, and I was powerful, and all of those things. When on the inside, I was a mess. So my life falls apart, and I flounder, and it takes me a long time to figure out how the pieces can come back together. And I think what happened for me is I became much more comfortable being honest about who I was and not trying to be this slick performer anymore, but being much um, comfortable with saying, I'm just like everybody else. I struggle with yeah. things. It's like an epiphany that you had. It was it's an like, epiphany. It's like, stop, bring it down. And so I think, I think when I would go into churches now, I think that's, I would want to see a little humility. I think if I didn't see humility at the front, I would worry just a little bit. If mm -hmm. there's humility, then I would feel like even if I'm just going to assume that the man or woman who's up front teaching because they're human, they're struggling with stuff. I know yeah. they're struggling with stuff, but I just want to see a little humility that, that implies that they recognize that rather than sometimes I see the, uh, some of the mega guys that, uh, are famous and they, um, they have just perfected the craft of, they're performers and yeah. they, they don't have any weaknesses and they just have the world by the tail. And I think when they're finally outed in different ways, that's when everybody sees now they didn't have it by the tail. They struggled like everybody else. Well, so let me ask you this too. So this might be a little, I don't know. I've never had anyone ask this and I don't think anyone, or I mean, I've never heard anybody asking this and I've never heard an answer to it. How do, so you say you, you went through a little, so you weren't preaching when you're going through like kind of your tough time at 24. Right. What do you do for money? So like, and I, I think not only what do you do for money, but how does a pastor make money and right. who determines like how much money they make? I, right. I'm, I'm literally no, I'm just no, like, I, I've never thought of well, that I'll tell before. you this. When I went to the Baptist churches, when I was pastor of Baptist churches, they have a finance committee and mm -hmm. they have a personnel committee and salaries are set 
And so they, when they called me the pastor, they said, this is way back in the early 80s, they said, this is the financial package and we're going to provide this much for your home and we're going to give you a housing allowance, car allowance, all this stuff. And so it was it was better than most young guys were making when they were my age, I guess. Yeah. And they took care of me, money went into retirement. And had I stayed on that path, that's kind of what happened. So when I get go through a divorce, I resign from my third church and I go through a divorce and then it's like, well, you know, I thought I, I have a lot, I had a lot of gifts and talents. I thought, but I, all I ever wanted to be was a pastor. So I went back into radio. I had had a history in radio as a teenager. So I went back into radio as an afternoon DJ. Um, that was, you know, fun. It's, it's yeah. all right. And uh, then I, I sold insurance and, uh, did some other things, just trying to figure out what I was going to do, just like anybody else. What do you do? Yeah. Trying to figure it out. Ran a little insurance office for a little while. And uh, then, and this, I don't want this to sound woo-woo because I I know you're not a woo-woo guy. Um, I, I would not say in my life that God has spoken to me. Like some people, God speaks to them all the time. It's like, I don't, I can't even imagine that. Yeah. But there were a couple of times that I had impressions that were really strong. And one of those times, so I'm floundering around, and I think that my life is just so broken and so unusable and I, that I'm the I'm the cause of it. I can't explain to you the shame that I felt. Yeah. And uh, I sensed from God that he was not through with me, and if I gave him the broken parts of my life, he could do something with my life. And that's not rocket science that wasn't revolutionary i had probably taught that a million times it just never dawned on me that it could be true to me that at 25 24 25 26 that if i was able to say can could you do something with the rest of my life that it would be possible for him to do something with the rest of my life yeah excuse using him but just god no yeah yeah that's funny that you say that because never mind i'll get into it later but so anyway um so that's one time i really felt uh, just a nudging. But the other thing was I sensed, and this, I've never doubted this. I began to do, I, I sensed from God, Ray, you will be a pastor to people who do not have a pastor. I'd never thought that thought. I'd never read that thought that was never in my mind, but I was just a shame filled young 25, 26 year old. And so I began to think about that and think, what does that mean? I'm going to be a pastor to people who don't have a pastor. Because I'm thinking, I'm not, I can't be a pastor anymore. I'm a divorced wreck of a man. Yeah. I'm done. So I thought, well, maybe that means I'm supposed to, I have a lot of friends. Maybe when they get married, I'm supposed to do their weddings. Maybe that's what I'm supposed to do. So I started doing weddings. And I did a bazillion weddings, it seemed like, because my peers were getting married. And I was doing, and if somebody died and they didn't have a pastor, then word got out that Ray was the pastor to people who didn't have a pastor. Yeah. So I began to do that. And uh, over time, I began to, I, I, a little church asked me to be their music director. And so I became music director at a little church and I would invite my friends there and uh, they would say, yeah, we, we, it, that's not for us. That's not, whatever it was, it just wasn't a good fit. But they would say, if you ever started a church, we, we'd think about coming. And uh, I'd never thought about that ever. Didn't even think I had the skills. My background had been going into churches with large buildings that had really pretty much shrunk to no attendance. And then I was the young wonder boy, young preacher. The crowd would come to see the freak. You know, it's like a freak show. Come see the young 18, 19-year-old preacher. But suddenly it was like 
maybe I'm supposed to start something and maybe it's supposed to be different and maybe it's supposed to be for people who don't think they have a pastor. I didn't know what that meant. And at first I thought it meant maybe kind of that rough around the edges crowd that just was more of a hell raiser biker church. Yeah. (laughs) That maybe that's what it meant. And so we started kind of with that vibe and we had fights in our parking lot after church, you know, because we had a rough crowd. Oh yeah. It's kind of, I mean, it's different, but over time I began to realize, no, it's not that it's so many people who would be open. They would be open to God. They would, but for whatever reason they have felt shunned or turned away I, I was so stupid back 26 years ago. I didn't know about the LGBTQ. I didn't know that that would be. Well, I didn't think that. I don't think that back then it was like a thing that was in your yeah, face. Yeah, I didn't. A lot. I, mean, other I, than like I do know that wall, we had. Yeah. I did know that we had a gay couple that became ushers at our church 26 years ago, and they were my dearest friends. They're still at our church 26 years ago. But I didn't get that this church pastored of people who didn't have a pastor. That it would one day be the LGBTQIA. I mean, it would become a something, and um, so I know the story was. What do you do when you're? I, I've had to do other things. I do corporate talks, and I love doing corporate talks. And right now, the church that I pastor, I have a modest salary at this church, and I founded the church 26 years ago, and we operate in a former garage, and so it's a real. Um, it's not fancy looking. It's kind of a real. Uh, warehouse kind of space and uh, i mean for atlanta that's like what's hip right yeah kind of hip i wish we could make it a little bit there's some rough things i wish we could fix but i i have a modest salary it's less than what i was making when i was a pastor at 24 um but it's good i mean i'm I'm not complaining it's 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 a good living and uh then to do a lot of fun stuff that i like to do i try to do corporate talks and you know stuff like that to maybe help supplement well you have one of those voices Oh, the radio ha- kind of yeah, voice? Yeah, yeah, you definitely have a radio voice. Yeah, used, sure. that used to be what I thought I'd do. Because I, um, so I... But you do too. I think the higher pitch voice now really podcasting what do you stuff. mean what do you mean higher pitch <laughs> i mean you know where i come from it used to be mm, you know it was this big voice but yeah. your voice when you when people are driving my voice gets muffled sometimes in the engine noise your voice cuts through i think you've got one of those cut through voices I, at least until they change the channel no you, um, <laughs> i think you've got the voice but um so what <laughs> so what what when you, I've just lost my train of thought. When you um, are like doing these talks and stuff, I'm okay. I lost it. Um, you do have a. Let me go backwards. You do have a radio voice, I think, Thank and you. it's a voice that's like really, really interesting to listen to, and it's really inspirational. Um, so when you when you start a church yourself, that's okay. So it's I'm thinking that it's similar to like starting a business. It is. So you. You have and you have to have like an initial investment. You have to rent a space. You have to yeah. have some sort of income. Like you have to have followers. It's like you have you're to very, have marketing. You have to have right. people come. You know. Stuff. Yeah, I didn't know how to do any of that stuff. So when I started it, I did it all wrong. Now when people start a church, they will start in their living room, and over months they will mm-hmm. have a group of people come, and they'll talk about how we're going to do this. I I was an idiot. I didn't know what I was doing. I was thirty years old. So I'd been out of ministry for five years, didn't yeah. know what I was going to do. I rented a little building. It was, was in a shopping center in Rex, Georgia, rented a little space, and hired a nursery worker. And I sent out 150 letters to my friends that said, I'm starting a church. If you 
possibly could come one time. I'd be so honored. And then I said in the letter, because a lot of my friends said, Ray, if I went to church, the ceiling would fall in. And I said, I want you to know we've had an architect check and it's good for one time <laughs> it's not going to fall yeah. so 89 where they're going to go into flames or yeah, something yeah 89 know. people came the first sunday 89 people. and what did that feel like when you look out because that's more than when you first started preaching you said 35 yeah and- oh, it was huge i thought this i thought we are on the way i thought this is amazing now the next week it was probably 35 and then it was yeah. 29 and then it became more of just the steady kind of moving yeah. forward but we didn't know what we were doing um but we held we tried to hold services that were inspirational that were helpful that were not judgmental from the very beginning we didn't have any judgment in us that wasn't our thing because i had i tell people i've probably screwed up more than anybody i mean if please don't think because i have pastor by my name that that means i have in any way been a pure example of a good human being and have done things better than other people i've screwed up a bunch yeah and um so over time it it you know, we we rented more space in the shopping center, and then more space in the shopping center. Then we bought twenty six acres of land, and then we moved um, into the Hapeville, and so yeah. we kind of started moved over it, again. Came in in the city. Yeah. So, what is there something that you would tell yourself now, like if you could go back to like twenty five to where? And I'm, and I always think about this situation because there's a lot of times when people say like, "What would you tell yourself if you could go back?" And I think there's like two sides to that. It's like, well. It would be probably beneficial if I didn't say anything at all. Right. Um, and then also maybe there could be some nudges that you could say. So like thinking about yourself as like 24 year old, 24 years old, just divorced. You just kind of like left the church that you were preaching at. Is there anything that you would tell yourself or do you think that you would just let it right out? I mean, do you think that there's any advice? Because I know you because you go through jobs and I think that we all do that. I'm sorry to ask a question and then just keep going. No, no, you're very wise. I think we all do that as like even me and a lot of people that I know that are around my age. um, And a lot of this, you know, everybody is saying like, you know, you have to go to college, you have to do that. And there's a whole group of people that are like college isn't for us. Right. So we're, and I think I'm one of those people. Right. And so we're kind of just like figuring it out on our own. Um, I love that. And I have found some of the smartest people I know are people that are figuring it out on their own and they have an entrepreneurial flair there's something about them that says, yeah, that that student loans and all that stuff yeah. is not really for us. And they're hungry to learn things. And I have a hunch they are the ones that are maybe on a, the best path. Now, not everybody, I think, can mm-hmm. do that. I think some people need a little bit more structure and they need maybe yeah, the like school the, thing. Yeah, yeah. Certainly get it, but I, I, I admire that. You know what? I, I, I wish I could tell myself I beat myself up for a long time and even – even when I would stand and look like I was uh, confident, I think there was still a shame that was underneath the surface. And uh, that had to do with a, a, a bad understanding of God, I think, a bad understanding of God that somehow I had failed God and God was disappointed in me, and so I had to live with this shame. And I think rather than, no, you were stupid. You just were stupid. You were a young person, and you had you messed up. It's just part of life. Yeah. So I think that would be maybe the only thing I would say is um, I learned some things that that helped me not be cocky, um, not be arrogant. Um, hopefully, hopefully those things were were good. I'm glad I learned those. But I think I allowed my um, dream to shrink out of shame. I think. I think the young guy, there was something that was beautiful about the young guy that had the huge 
dream. And then when he failed, he let the dream shrink. And um, even at 56 now, I still wake up in the morning and know that that's a part of getting back that big dream that I've always had and not um, having a governor on it because I've had some flameouts along the way. I wish, yeah. I, wish I could have known that, but I, I didn't. So maybe to just tell yourself, like, just keep keep going. Yeah, it's okay. You know, keep it's the okay. dream alive. Yeah, you it's know? okay. God's, God's on your side. I really... I really like that—that that the universe is benevolent and God is on our side. Um, I didn't know that way back when. Mm-hmm. Wish I did. Yeah. So, is—is is there anything that you would say to anybody who is like particularly, kind of maybe going through that phase now, and they're basically like the the person who prays to God when they need Him. Yeah. Um. You know, I think it's like. It's like, oh God, just help me figure this out. Is there something that you would say to somebody who maybe like doesn't know what they want to do, or like maybe they know what they want to do, but they don't even know where to get, how to get there, or um, somebody? I'm trying to relate it back to God, but I mean, somebody who basically, I guess it would just be like God could help you along the ride, right? Or I mean, I think so, and I think just a sense that that this journey is what's so awesome. We we think sometimes it's getting there it's getting the uh the nice car it's getting the uh the house if i could just get the house and i'm just going to do all these things so i can get the house and we don't realize it's the journey that is so fun and the fact that there's in my understanding there's a universe that is benevolent that allows us to try things and some things we do really well and we learn some things are struggles but we get better and so i would i would say Try stuff, try things, get outside of the box. Don't be so afraid. Don't buy into the American dream that you have to have a, a house by the time you're 27 and you've got to have 2.3 children and you've got to do all yeah. of those things. You've got to have a degree on the wall. Don't do that. What turns you on? Figure out what turns you on and then do it. Have fun with it and uh, it, not make it so heavy. That's the other thing that religion does sometimes that I hate. They make things so heavy. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I'm realizing the older I get, it's it's really a lighter thing. I carried such a weight as a young guy. You know, even I was a big dreamer, but I carried this weight of God and salvation and, and heaven and hell. And now I'm realizing God is for us and the journey is important. And we're supposed to have fun and meet as many different people as you can and learn how different people think and be empathetic and share with people in a cool way. And uh, enjoy the ride because it's not it's not the destination; it's the journey that it's, it's all It's the about. climb. It's the climb, that's like Miley beautiful. said. Yeah, yeah, that's good. I forgot that. Yeah, very good. <laughs> um, anyway, so that's I, you know it's funny because I had all these questions written down, and as we're going along, you know, when you were sharing earlier, it's like okay, that question's answered. That question's answered. Oh, that question's that. answered. Like and so I'm like, okay, well, I don't need the iPad anymore. That's awesome. Um, but yeah, no, I think is so what's the name of your church and where can people find you? It's the Village Church and it's in Hapeville and that's Hape with a P. People Not say hate. hate. Why would you have a church in Hapeville? It's like, <laughs> no, it's Hape with a P. Hapeville, Georgia, which is near the airport. 3418 Dogwood mm-hmm. Drive and uh, it's one of the interesting things to me, 7585 and 285 all border Hapeville. So it's kind mm-hmm. of an easy place to get to. 
And we have a real cool church. We only meet Sunday mornings at 11 o'clock. That's it. We also take off six Sundays a year because we say to our, we have a lot of people that are, um, they work hard all week and then they come to church because they love it and they're they're helpful and they're, but they burn themselves out because yeah. they don't have any days. And so we say six times a year, we're shutting it down. You guys enjoy your family, go to the park, do whatever you want to do. Don't worry about us. Our service that lasts an hour. We don't keep you all day. We're 11, 11 to 12. We promise you'll have something that'll uh, hopefully help you through the week. And then the other thing I want to mention is um, oh about the village also. For people who want kind of buckhead, they want um, all beautiful people and all fine cars and all that stuff. Yeah, that's not us. What yeah. we are are a mix of every type of person you can imagine. We are probably 60, 40, white, black. We have uh, every socioeconomic level, including homeless. We have people who literally would have slept under the bridge the night before, and they will be sitting right next to maybe a man who is a CPA from Noonan that commutes to our church. We have people that drive from sometimes 30, 40 minutes around. And uh, we love it. We try to, it tries to be just, it's it, it's just a, a, a cool place. I'll, I can say that. I will say this. We have just, and you can find us on Facebook. So the Village Church that there. But I started something recently I'm really proud of called Everybody Church. And I started it with another pastor and my atheist friend, mm-hmm. Everybody Church. You can also find this on Facebook, Facebook slash everybody church and um we we had a group of lgbt people at my house one night we were talking and they were beautiful because they said ray can we tell you something we don't want our church to be a gay church we want our church to be an everybody church Mm -hmm. so we thought that was really cool and uh that just kind of stuck in my mind and one day my business partner just it hit him everybody church and so he looked up domain names and saw everybodychurch.com was not taken which seems crazy yeah, yeah, yeah. to that me yeah yeah that does seem crazy cuz it seems like the greatest name in the world so we started an online church called everybody church and uh what we're trying to do it's not about we have uh, some really good speakers that speak but it's not about that it's about letting people kind of around this um idea um Join and find resources that are helpful and meet people through the uh, different uh, areas where people can chat and kind of get acquainted. So anyway, that may be something interesting. We have no idea what's going to happen there. But right now, we get messages every day from as far as Australia, from all. It's only been it's only been launched two weeks. And I think each of the messages has had seven or eight thousand views. Oh, that's crazy. It is yeah. crazy. And we're getting people from Idaho, Hawaii, um Australia, Iceland, Dubai. It's it's really yeah. crazy. So that, I mean, it's like there's only the only thing it can do now is grow. Yeah, that's what we're yeah. thinking. And uh, but we're trying to do it really. We're trying to be real intentional and think about it and make it something that's really helpful yeah. and make it really about people. It's not about the preacher. It's not about the preacher. It's about people. And uh, it, it so far it's been a really cool. Thing. So we also what what's the name of your podcast? You're going to start recording new episodes for that. Well, right? it's going to be under the Everybody Church uh, umbrella, okay. and so I. We'll be announcing that, and I'm really excited. I told you this, but the author of The Shack. Oh, I was I'm not supposed to say anything? No, you can't. Oh, I'm, I'm so, sorry. I'm telling people I don't even know. I'm just saying, hey, guess who I'm interviewing? But I get yeah. to interview William Paul Young, who wrote The Shack that sold 22 million copies and mm-hmm. became a beautiful movie. And uh, he'll be the first uh, podcast that will launch probably the end of March. So we're kind of we're talking to people that are kind of leaders in progressive Christianity. Yeah. Because that's, that's still a kind of a small 
group of people. And when churches like ours, people say, well, are there churches like yours all over? Not really. There's a few mm-hmm. in Atlanta. And, but some people are hundreds of miles away from a church that is fully affirming and inclusive of all people mm-hmm. that don't make any distinctions about LGBTQ, fully love everybody. And they, they listen online and they say, I would have to drive 300 miles to find a church like yeah. that. So um, we're trying to talk to some of these progressive leaders, and they're many, and they're wonderful people. And, and what you'll find, at least I have found, when they talk, it feels kind of like what you would think Jesus would talk like. They're, they're yeah. not judgmental. They're beautiful. They're, they are smart. Um, they're not afraid of science. They are, they're just smart people and, and uh, kind and humble, and I want to grow up like that. That's comforting. That's what I want to be That is like. really comforting. Well, thank you so much for sitting in and talking to you me. You are the best. I'm so honored oh, that you would do you. this. Thank you. You can say that again. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm going to listen to that on a loop when I get home. <laughs> but um, but no, yeah, thank you so much. And I'm, I just love the fact that you have Becoming Michelle Obama, um, the her new book on your coffee table. You know, table. the second it came out, we had it. We had it on Audible, and we had it on Kindle. We had it in every way you could have it. I'm in love with her. That's funny. My wife is, too. All right. Well, thank you for sitting down and talking to me, Ray. Thank you, Dustin. And everybody go check him out. I'll leave all the links and everything under in the about me of this podcast. But thank you. Yeah, thank you. Signing off.